Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is If Money Could Talk, Part 1, The Meaning of Life, featuring Michael Davis. Well, uh, we are beginning a new series today based on a book called If Money Talked. And let me ask you a question. If your money could talk, assuming that it was for you and not against you, what would your money say? It would probably say something, uh, you know, and you would probably respond with something like this. You would probably respond with, yeah, I know. Yeah, I should have known. Yeah, I shouldn't have. Right? Because let's be honest, we have all mishandled money. There's been a time in our life or even a season of our life where we have mishandled money. And money is a great reminder that a lot of times we don't do what's even in our best interest. That sometimes we are our own worst enemy because we have appetites, because we see things and we grab at them. And sometimes we mishandle money. And that's why we're talking about this. I know what you're already thinking. You're probably thinking, great, this is my first Sunday here, and they're talking about money. Because that's all churches talk about is money. Although there's like three of you that grabbed me before church and was like, you know what, it's about time you talked about money. Because you haven't talked about money in like years. But the reason we're talking about money isn't because the, money, the church wants your money. We don't want your money. Although if you go to anchoredhope.church forward slash give, you can, no, I'm just kidding. But we don't, we, this is not about your money, okay? This is not even going to be a study on tithing or anything like that, okay? This is about something different. This is about what Jesus talked about. And if you don't know, Jesus talked about money a lot. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven? Did you know that 15% of everything Jesus said had to do with money? Did you know that 16 out of his 38 parables, which were like his sermon illustrations, 16 out of 38 had to do with finances? Jesus talked about money like all the time. So really, I need to up my game a little bit more. I think maybe we should talk about this more than just once every two years because apparently Jesus talked about money a lot. But guess what? Jesus wasn't after anybody's money. There wasn't even a Christian church to give to at that time. And Jesus never asked anybody for money. The only time he asked somebody for money was when he asked for a coin and he used it as a sermon illustration. And then we're pretty sure he handed it back to him. Here's why Jesus talked about money so often. Jesus talked about money so, so very often because he knew that it was a matter of the heart. So here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus isn't after your money. Jesus is after your heart. And the truth is, is that the way you spend your money says a lot about your heart. And Jesus knows that money and how you spend money gets in the way of you becoming your best self. Gets in the way of you becoming who God created you to be. So let's get something clear. The church isn't after your money and Jesus isn't after your money. But the truth is that money says a lot about your heart. And so that's why we're going to talk about this over the next three weeks. And so if your money could talk, here's what your money would say. Your money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Your money would tell you, look, I can, I can add to your life. I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of your life. I am not the ends. I am only a means. And that's the thing. Money can add to your life. Let's not, let's, let's not kid ourselves, right? People are like, oh, money can't make you happy. Oh, yes, it can, right? And guess what? It can if you use it the right way, too. Money can add to your life if used only as a means to an end. 
We've talked about this so many times at Anchored Hope Church. This pops up so many times in our sermon. The only way to have a meaningful life is to live as a means to an end. It's the only way to have a purposeful life. It's the only way to have a meaningful life is to be a means to an end for somebody else. And guess what? Money can help us be a means to an end for someone else. Money can help us add happiness, can help us add purpose. It's a tool that is there to help us be a means to an end. But in order to have a meaningful life, to have a meaningful life, you must become a means to an end for someone else. And that is what the, this gift, this tool of money can be used for. And that's what we're really going to talk about over these next few weeks. So let's dive into what Jesus said. There's a, there's a story in Luke. If you don't remember, Luke wasn't actually an apostle. He, he came by later and, and kind of joined the crew. But he, he was a really good documenter. He, he took interviews. He talked to everybody. And then he wrote his gospel down. And it was, you know, an account of firsthand accounts of people who saw and lived and, and, and were with Jesus and saw what Jesus did. And so Luke writes this down. There's a story of this time that Jesus, he, he sat down with his disciples. And, and this is what he tells them. In Luke 18, Jesus Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So again, this is a parable. This is a sermon illustration. Jesus is talking to his disciples. There's probably some other people who are hearing this and goes, there was a rich man. And this rich man had so much money that he actually had to hire a money manager. He had to hire somebody who would manage his affairs, manage his debts, make sure that everybody was paid up. And so he hires this money manager. And this money manager, he's accused of wasting money. So he called them and he asked them, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you, not, you cannot be my manager any longer. So he sits down with his manager and he finds out that he's, he's doing something wrong. He's skimming off the top. He's stealing. He's doing something wrong. And so he goes, you know what? You are done. You are no longer going to be my manager anymore. You are fired. And he goes, I want you to get all my affairs in order. Settle all my debts. Close the books. Get everything finished because you are done being my manager. And so the manager, he says to himself, he says, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, and I'm ashamed to beg. So this manager, he's a smart man. Clearly he's, 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 he's got desk hands as some of us call them, right? He, he's not a, he's not a workman. He, he, he can't do hard labor. And he goes, man, if I lose this job, I'm in trouble because I, I'm, I'm too prideful to, to beg and, and, and I, I can't work with my hands. So I've got to do something. I've got to think quick, what in the world am I going to do? And so the story goes on and then it says, I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he says, I I'm going to strike a deal. I'm going to do something smart. I'm going to set myself up for, for future success. I'm going to be forward thinking, and I'm going to make some deals here so that after this job, I've got something set up for me next. And so he goes on. And so he called in each of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Now, there's two that are mentioned in the story, but there were probably many more than that. There were probably several debtors in different areas that were all called in. And the implication is that he called each of them in and he started to negotiate with them. And so it goes on. And the man said, I, I owe your master 900 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. 
So this man, he had, he had a debt of 900, 900 gallons. And you know what? The, the manager goes, you know what? Let's just, let's just cut that in half. Let's just, let's call it, let's call it 50. Why don't you just give me 50% of what you owe and we'll call it good. Now, that's a pretty good deal, right? So what do you think, you know, what do you think happened? Well, of course, what he probably want happened. The, the man who owed the olive oil, he probably said, hey, man, thank, thank you for the deal. Thank you for cutting my debt in half. You know what? Tell you what, take my card. If you're done with this job, if you ever finish this job, you know what? I, I, give me a call. I, I've got a job for you probably in the future, right? So he's making himself look good. He's setting himself up for success. And then it goes on. Then he asked a second, and how much do you owe? He said, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And the manager told him, well, you take your bill and make it 800. So again, I mean, he is just slashing prices and making deals, right? And the implication is he does this over and over and over again. He calls each of them in and he goes, you know what? What do you owe? Well, you know what? Just take that down a notch. Come on, you know, we'll just, we'll just settle this. We'll get this all done. And really what he's doing is he's taking away from the master, right? I mean, what the master is owed, he's just kind of, you know, slashing it down, making it less and less and less. Well, you know, you probably can guess what happened next, right? I mean, the, the master found out. And so the master, and let me, let me ask you before we go on, what do you think the master did? I mean, if you were the master, what would you do? The master would be ticked off. I mean, come on. You were owed all this money. You were owed, owed all these resources, right? And then you find out your money manager who is already stealing and wheeling and making deals. You find out he, make, he steals and wheels a little bit more and makes some more deals and you're losing anymore. I mean, if you were the master, you'd be tick off, ticked off. And the audience who's listening to this story, I mean, they knew. I mean, even the Old Testament laws at that time said, you know, this guy could be put to death for this. I mean, this was wrong. This was stealing. And so he's got everybody's attention. Everybody who's listening to this story, just like you, they're probably thinking, and then the master probably took him out and taught him a lesson. But watch what happens next. The master commended the dishonest manager. He commended him. He commended him. And then it says this, because he had acted shrewdly. Shrewdly is not a, a word we use too much in 2021, right? Do you know what shrewdly means? Shrewdly means, you know, intelligent, clever, right? Kind of like a Loki type, right? So he was, he was shrewd. He was clever. He was intelligent. He was kind of tricked, you know, he kind of tricked people. He made, he made a, a smart deal, very sly, right? And so the master, he, he commends him. He commends him because he had acted shrewdly. And then it goes on and it says, the master, he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, what is that, exactly does that mean? Hey, here's what that means. Jesus is saying in the story, he goes, you know what? Because if the people of this world are more shrewd, the people of this world, they, they, they think about uh, their life in this context from the beginning and the end. And they, they are shrewd. They are clever. They wheel and they deal. But, but dealing with their own, but that's what dealing with their own kind. But the people of the light, he said, the people of light should be even more shrewd, even more clever, even more intelligent. Why? Because they live in a broader context. Because they understand, just like the money man manager understood, that the, our time on this earth is a short time, but there is something coming up. There is a future ahead of us. And we need to spend this short window of time making sure that we invest in our future, making sure we do what is necessary to invest and ensure and secure our future. And, he's, and so just like the money manager the money manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and opportunity. 
And Jesus' lesson is in this is he's saying, so should be the people of the light. So should be Christians. Christians should, should take advantage of this limited time they have and this opportunity. And they should use it to be shrewd. They should use, use it to be clever. And then Luke goes on and he, he tells us what Jesus says next. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, it'd be really easy to, to, to read this verse and, and just read like the first part. Use your wealth to gain friends. You're like, I could do that, right? No, no, no. But remember, the, the end of this verse, he, he, he brings into context the eternity, right? We're talking about heaven. We're talking about what comes after. So in the context of eternity, he's saying, gain friends. Use your wealth. Use your money shrewdly to impact other people, to impact the kingdom of God, to impact what happens in eternity. Another way that, that I think he would put it, and the way that I like to put it, is this. Use your stuff to make stories. Use your stuff to make stories. My wife Kate and I, um, when, we, when we got married, you know, we grew up in Christian homes and our, our parents practiced giving. And so when we got married, we, we decided we were going to practice giving as well. We thought that was an important thing to do. And so we decided what percentage of our income we were going to live on. And then we decided what percentage of our income we were going to give away. Now, forget biblical principles for a minute. You know, I don't like that word the Bible says, right? Because the Bible says a lot of things. And there's things that the Bible says here that disagrees with what the Bible says there. And so I'm not going to give you a, a biblical lesson on the Old Testament laws of percentages. Because remember, that's Old Covenant, not New Covenant, right? And there's a lot of differences between those two. And so we don't give because the Bible says. We don't give because, based on a percentage just because the Bible says. We believe in what the New Covenant says because we believe that we should have a generous heart. Because we should be shrewd with what we have. Because we want to be a means to an end. And for us, the reason we still use a percentage isn't because it's in the Bible. For us, the reason we use a percentage and we give off of a percentage is because how else do we know we're being generous unless we have a percentage? Right? I mean, I'll, I'll put it in terms that some of you will understand because many of you, you know, lift weights with me or do CrossFit with me, right? I mean, when I'm lifting weights and I coach CrossFit, we always go off of, of a percentage. When we do a lift or when we tell something, they say, well, what, 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 what weight do you want me to use? And I give them a percentage. I say, go, give me 75% of your, your one rep. Give me 85%. This is the effort that I want you to extend. If you don't have the percentage, if you're not working off a percentage, what are you working off of? You know what you're working off of? Your emotions. How you feel. I mean, if you go into a weight room every day and you're like, oh, no, I'm just going to do what I feel, right? You're not actually going to get healthier. You're not actually going to become more fit. You're not actually going to get stronger. The only way to know you're strong is what percentage you're going off of. And everybody's percentage is based off their capabilities and what they have and what they've been giving. And so that's why it's the, it's the most accurate means to go off of. And here's the thing. It's the same for your giving. I mean, let me ask you a question. I mean, if, probably if I went around the room like, hey, are you a generous person? You'd say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm super generous, man. Super generous. And I'd say, well, really, what percentage are you working off of? And you're like, I don't use a percentage. You know, I just know. 
right? Well, you sound like the guy at Club Fitness that I run into all the time, okay? You know, I mean, you think you're tough and you think you're strong, but you really don't know if you're tough or you're strong. And the thing is, is if I asked you if you're generous and you're like, well, what percentage do you go off of? And you're like, I don't know. I'll just give when I feel like it. I'd go, well, are you really generous? I mean, that's just the most accurate way to know. And for Kate and I, we've, we've decided to take a percentage of our income and decide what we are going to live off of. We've taken, we've taken our, our, what our life looks like, and we've decided what it is we can live off of, and we've decided what it is we're going to give away. Because for us, that's how we can accurate tell if we're a generous person. And then, of course, there's even a, a part in that that we've decided and if, if we ever hear you know, a need or if something ever comes up, we, we, we have something saved in order to give to that emergency need or that unplanned, unplanned person or that person that we didn't know was going to come into our life that needed us that we didn't know because we want to be a means to an end. That's what we want. And for us, and again, this is not a lesson on tithing because I'll be very, very honest with you, right? The most important thing that I want you to get out of this is that you need to be, that God wants you to be, a means to an end for somebody else. And you know what? I fully recognize that sometimes you can be a means to an end for somebody else in an organization other than the church. There's a lot of non-for-profit companies, you know? And so if you're like, well, the church just wants my money. I go, no, I, I don't want your money. Maybe you should find another non-for-profit organization. Maybe you should find something else that you're passionate about, somebody else that needs your help. Maybe you should even give to them. But the thing is, is where are you being a means to an end at? Where are you being generous to? Who are you sharing your wealth with? Where are you using your money as a tool to be a means to an end for somebody else? Now, for Kate and I, we've chosen the church. We've chosen Anchored Hope, and we give 15%, 15% of our income, we give back to the church. We invest back into the church. And the reason we do that is because when we look at all the non-for-profits and all the causes you could give to and all the things you could share your wealth with and all the things that you could be a means to an end at, for us, the church has the biggest impact on the eternity of people's souls. Because for us, for Kate and I, when we see somebody get baptized... We know we played a part in that. We know that we invested in the church. And because of our investment, somebody felt led to follow Jesus. And somebody felt led to get baptized. And so when we see somebody get baptized, we know that our giving, that our money played a part in that person's story. That we had a small investment in that. We know that when a family comes and they have a baby and they decide to you know, dedicate their child... When they decide to, you know, give their child communion or decide to make the decision to follow Jesus, that we, we played a part in that. You know, when we planted this church nine years ago this August, man, when we, when we planted this church, we, we made a prayer list of the families we wanted to invite. And the very first family that we had on that prayer list was the Lindsay's, Crystal and Brad and Savannah and then, you know, Grant and Carly. And, 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 and man, I remember whenever we started this church, Savannah was like, in my eyes, the very first kid we had at this church. She was so little. She was so small. When we'd unpack that trailer, little three-year-old Savannah would try to lift the little children's rug carpet by herself and carry it in there. And man, I'll tell you, I baptized Savannah. Savannah's about to go into the youth group and be a teenager. For that kid, I would invest everything that I have to know that that little girl is, has, number one, growing up in a Christian home with two great parents who love Jesus. 
but also to know that one day, hopefully, she'll marry a man as well who loves Jesus as much as she does, and she'll teach her kids all about Jesus, all because of what we invested and what we started in Anchored Hope Church. That, to me, is a good cause to give to. That, to me, is a good investment in my life, better than any other investment plan anybody else could ever offer me. And so for Kate and I, we've chosen to be generous. We've chosen to give to the church. Because we believe that giving through the church, we can be a means to an end. And here's the thing. I know this because I'm a pastor. And, and you probably know this too if you've been around it long enough. At funerals, man, at funerals, people tell stories. They don't show off stuff. Use your stuff to make stories. Because at funerals, people tell stories. They don't show off stuff. And you know, for me, man, my goal in life, like the thing that I want to ensure happens more than anything, is that my funeral, I want it to be packed. I don't even want you to be able to have it here because I want it to be so full that you got to go rent out the family arena. Okay? And I, and I want there to be so many people that, that when my kids are up there welcoming people and, and doing what they need to do at a funeral. When my wife and my, when my kids are up there, I want people to come up to my kids and shake their hand and say, I want you to know that your daddy took care of me. I want you to know about the time that your daddy loved me so much that he paid for me to go to kids camp. I want you to know that your daddy loved me so much that when we were trying to make something happen in our family and we didn't have the means to do it, your daddy was a means to an end for us. I know he was your daddy, but let me, let me tell you that I felt like I was his son. I, I felt like he, I was his daughter. I felt like I was a part of your family. And you know what? One of the ways, one of the reasons why I'm not scared of death is because I know that when I die, my family will be taken care of. And let me tell you how I know my family will be taken care of. My family won't be taken care of because I have a big bank account and a lot saved. My family won't be taken care of because I have life insurance because actually I don't have life insurance. So if anybody can talk to me afterwards, I'd l maybe love to invest in a plan. But here's the reason why I know that my family will be taken care of when I die, whenever that may be is because I've invested in people and I know those people will invest in my family. I know because I've taken care and invested in other people and I've shown people how much they mean to me that when I'm gone, people will go, hey, your daddy took care of me and I will always be there for you because of what your daddy did for me. See, that's what they tell at, at funerals. They tell stories. They don't show off stuff. So let me ask you what, what do you, what do you want your funeral to be like? And who do you want there? Because can I be honest with you? Because I can be honest with you. A lot of you can take that and you can kind of manipulate that and go, yeah, I'm, I, that's what I'm doing. I'm using my stuff to make stories. I'm using my stuff to make stories with my kids. I'm using my stuff to make stories with my family. But let me tell you something. You have so much stuff, you can make so many more stories than just with your kids. You have, so, you have so plenty and so much, and there are so many other kids and neighbors and coworkers and people around you who have not got to experience what your kids are getting to experience daily. And you have enough. You have enough to use your stuff to create stories with people outside your family. And one day, you're going to want them to show up at your funeral and talk about how you made them feel a part of your family because how you use your stuff to make stories with them. And then Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little 
can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying is that, you know, the thing is, is that money is a test. Money is a test. This is just one of the things is God is literally looking at what, how we are managing his funds, how we are managing what, 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 what he gives us. And, and, and again, I know this is a big debate, but it's my money. Is it really your money if it stays here when you die? <laughs> it seems like you're a borrower because it doesn't go anywhere with you. It seems to just get passed on to somebody else and gets transferred to somebody else's hands. It's not really your money. You're just borrowing it in one form or fashion or the other. And he goes, man, you know what? God says, you know what? I, I, you, you get this in your hands and the person who is responsible with very little, I can trust with more. But the person who, who isn't responsible with that, how can I really trust them with much? I mean, if I know that this is going to crush them, if I know that this is going to hurt them, I mean, what, how can I really give them that? And then he goes on, and this is what it says. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who, who will trust you with true riches, right? The truth is, is that money is a test. Money is a test. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So, here's the thing. If your money could talk, this is, this is what your money would say. It, it would tell you, I, I'm, a means to, I'm a means, not an end. And it would tell you, I'm a, I'm a tool and I'm a test. And it, it would say, I can add meaning to your life, but, but by all means, I'm not the meaning of life. And so... Here's the thing. Where do, you, where do you start with this, right? What do you, what, what, what do, you do with all this? No, well, here, here's the thing. I, over the next three weeks, I want you to ask yourself some really challenging questions. I really want you to ask yourself some questions, you know, maybe even with your, your, your spouse or your family or whoever that may be. But let's, let's, let's just start at the bare minimum. Let's, for, let's forget about percentages and let's for, forget about budgets and all that. And all that's very important. But here's the question. I think if you really started with just this question, you would get on the right track. And the question is this, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning to what ends do you want your life to be a means? So let's just start here. Let's just start at the basics. Let's just start at being a means to an end. Where is it in your life are you being a means to an end? And if you really want a meaningful life, if you really want a purposeful life, if you want a life where at the end of your life people show up and they tell stories, to what ends do you want your life to mean? What is it you want people, what is it you want people at the end of your life to get up and thank you for? What is it you want people to tell your, your, your spouse when you pass away? What stories do you want them to tell your kids? What is it that you want to pass on for other people to talk about? What legacy do you want to leave behind? Because legacies last, money doesn't. Everybody's going to fight over your stuff afterwards. Everybody's going to wheel and deal and sell off your property and change it and remodel it and repaint it and adapt it. But your legacy, your legacy can never be changed. Your legacy can last. So what means do you want your life, or what end do you want your life to mean? Because here's the thing. It would be really easy if at the end of your life, 
Your life was all about accumulation. Your life was all about consumption. Your life was about upgrades. Your life was about being trendy. And your life was about having a house full of stuff. I mean, at the end of your life, do you, do you want people to stand up and go, man, your daddy loved that truck. Your daddy, he just loved that truck. He loved that truck more than you, son. That's the truth, you know? Man, your mama, your mama loved Target. I love her Insta stories at Target every week. It just, your mama could find a deal in the dollar section better than anybody I know, you know? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you want that when, you, when somebody walks up to your kid and goes, man, your daddy, man, your mama, what is it you want them to say? Because if it's about stuff, you might have messed up. Because if it's just about accumulation, if it's all about upgrades, if it's all about being trendy, if it's all about having the newest and the greatest and the high life, then at the end of your life, this is what they're going to say. They ate, they drank, they were merry, and they died. That'll be it. And that'll be all they had to say. And your stuff will be sold off, and your family will continue the trend. And the legacy of your family name will be just like everybody else's. And has the potential of truly being wasted. You know, at the end of this story, there were a lot of people there. Because we know there are a lot of people there because the Pharisees were there. Luke says that the Pharisees were there. And Luke says this about the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees who loved money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Just like how under your breath some of you are sneering at me. I see you, okay? The Pharisees loved money. Let me ask you an important, important question. Do you know any of these guys' names? Yeah, me neither. You know why? Because they didn't do anything worth writing about. Nobody knows a Pharisee's name because nobody cared to write their name down. You know what? This church is my legacy. One day, they're going to write my name down. One day... When this building is passed off to somebody else, when this church is pastored by somebody else, they're going to remember my name. And they're not going to remember my name because I was good at what I did. They're not going to remember my name just because I was the first. They're going to remember my name because I was a means to an end. Because I put people first. Because I was a servant and I sacrificed. And I used money as a tool. As a means to an end. And one day my kids are going to be inspired to be better. One day my kids are going to be inspired to be who God created them to be. Not because the Bible says, but because they saw it in their daddy. Because they saw a life lived in their father that made them proud. When their dad laid things down, laid what he wanted down, laid his appetites down in order to be a means to an end for other people. And I hope that continues on. I hope that my family tree continues to grow and sprout and branch off in changing the world and growing the kingdom of God and doing things that don't impact just here but impact eternity. And at the end of my life, that's what I want to be thanked for. That's what I want to be remembered for. And if you're not using your money to do that, 
you're really not utilizing one of the greatest, most powerful tools you can in order to make a difference for someone else. So, to what, what end do you want your life to mean? That's the question. That's the question you need to wrestle with. That's the question you need to ask yourself. And you need to have a conversation with God about. So can I pray for you this morning? Father God, to what end do I want my life to mean? God, I believe every single one of us hearing these words today want to have a meaningful life, want to have a purposeful life. And God, make no mistake about it, you have blessed every single one of us. As we sit here today with clothes on our back, with multiple cars in our garage, with food, either waiting for us at home or the ability to go to our restaurant afterwards. God, you've, you've blessed us. You've taken care of us. We have more than so many other people in this world. And so, God, I pray that, that we would ask you this question and we would wrestle with this. To what, to what end do we want our life to mean? God, where is it that you want us to invest? Where is it you want to use our money as a tool to be able to to be able to provide an experience, to be able to provide an invitation, to be able to, to open the door, to be able to do something for someone else that, that, that cracks a light in their dark life, that, that, that opens up the door just a little bit and allows you the, the, the opportunity, God, to move and to work. God, is there someone around us who, who needs us? Is there somebody around us that, that you want to see us invest in? God, to what end do you want my life to mean? Show me, God. Show me where I, can, where I can live out a meaningful life. Show me where I can use my money as a tool in order to, to do something for somebody else. Would you help me to use my stuff to make stories, God? Because at the end of my life, I want it to mean something. I want my life to have purpose. I want my life to have reason. And if at the end of my life, it's just I consumed and I took and I devoured and I did what I wanted to do, then what does my life even really mean, God? What is it you want me to do? Show me what that is, God. Show me what that means. And then help me to have the courage to do it. Help me to have the courage to be disciplined. Help me have the courage to make sacrifices. Help me to have the courage to, to be able to, to make sacrifices in order to put other people first. Because this life is not about me. I am not first. I am second, God the same way that you sent your, your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to put us first. God, would you help me to have that same heart? Would you help me to, to have that same life? God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in your name. If you'd like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash hot. Thank you for listening and God bless.